Good evening, everyone. I'm joined tonight by Dip. As you can see here, he loves to look out the window. And Dot likes to jump up and try to eat his tail while he does that because there can be no peace in our household at any time. I hope you guys can hear me. I just hooked up my microphone in a hurry because I had some last minute tech difficulties where my computer screen totally froze. I had to bring Andy in here and come fix it for me. No idea what happened there, but we are here. We are in one piece, more or less. I'm wearing my 9-11 t-shirt with which I commemorate... The citizens who were involved on Flight 93, if you guys are familiar, that's where they said, let's roll, and decided to try to stop the terrorists before they got to the field in Pennsylvania. And that is kind of the theme of today's show. Um, just as an explanation from last week, I was <laughs> I was sitting in my rocking chair that we got for the baby, and I was like, I sounded like a, a beached fish. I was gasping, like... <laughs> <laughs> so I was gasping about once every two seconds and I was like, I can't talk. There's no way I can talk. So I was able to do a lot of other stuff. I was able to write. I was able to help with some other stuff on the computer. Not able to talk at all last week. And even tonight, I'm like not feeling it very much, but it's going to be fine. We're going to go as long as we can. Um, the doctor says I will probably be, I will have a baby squeezed out of me at some point between 37 and 39 weeks which puts me at about October uh, 16th at latest, and then uh, early October at earliest. So, very exciting. It's already September 11th, Patriot's Day. Um, so, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm very excited to meet this little child who keeps punching me from the inside. Can't wait to get them punching me from the outside. It's going to be awesome. Howdy, unhoused snipes. Greetings, Martin. Florida Yacker says we got co-host Dip. Indeed, you do. He's very dignified, as you can see. He just likes to look out the window. He's very—he's a very soothing presence. Cat energy is so different from dog energy. I think it's great. I feel like you kind of need the balance of both. But whew, Dot is crazy. Happier feeling slash doing better, Sour Patch Lids. Lids. Thank you, Martin. I am indeed plenty of heartburn to go around still. And Andy's got a bit of a cold. Um, I went and looked for COVID tests last night because we weren't sure what it was, and it is not that, so no worries there, just not feeling very good. So hopefully Andy will get back on the, his A game before too long here. He won a competition, uh, a rollerblading competition on Saturday, and then on Sunday he was just out cold. So he uh, <laughs> was very impressed, I was very proud of him. I knew that he would win, obviously, but you never know, competition might be really stiff down in Miami, near close to Miami. Um, but no, he did great and he won. So very proud of him. As we all know, it is hurricane season. Hurricanes are the name of Andy's favorite trick. So on how snipe says you're wearing my favorite brand of shirts. I love, love, love my grunt style collection. Yes. My brother who was a Marine at the time got us a whole bunch of grunt style shirts. And I really like this one because it is specifically made for 9-11. Speaking of 9-11, there's a lot of news on that front. And I'm going to start with this from Spike Cohen because I appreciate Spike. He also has MS and he's a great source of encouragement. Um, let's read this. And this is how I opened this one. So I tweeted this. I love commemorating 9-11 the same way I commemorate July 4th. By focusing on the citizens who behaved heroically, not on complaining about the government. My fellow citizens tend to be exemplary and that doesn't get enough press. Our disgusting government gets plenty. And I think we all know why that is. Negative emotions tend to engage people a lot more than positive emotions. But I happen to love the U.S. not because of the government, but because my fellow citizens are weird and quirky and generous and warm-hearted and they do heroic things on a regular basis. So let's read the story that Spike shared. Really, really interesting story. Really uplifting. It's it's awesome. I'm going to read it. This man's name is Rick Rescoria, Rescorla. Excuse me. 20 years ago. Oh my gosh. Come back here. 20 years ago, Rick disobeyed orders and saved 2,700 lives. Rick was the head of security for Morgan Stanley in the South Tower of the World Trade Center. He warned that the tower's basements were vulnerable to attack. His warnings fell on deaf ears. Then the 1993 attack happened and people started to listen to him. After that attack, Rick implemented regular evacuation drills using his megaphone to direct the thousands of employees out of their offices, down the stairwells, and out the building to safety. Born in Cornwall, Rick would sing Welsh and Cornish songs with his megaphone as he directed the employees out of the building. He would routinely tell all the employees, in an emergency, no matter what chaos is happening around you, no matter what anyone tells you, leave your offices, go down the stairwells, and leave the building. 
Rick told his wife Susan that he suspected another attack on the World Trade Center would happen, this time by air. And 22 years ago today, on September 11th, 2001, that attack happened. When the first plane hit the North Tower, the Port Authority announced over the South Tower speaker system, please do not leave the building. This area is secure. Rick ignored them. The dumb sons of B-words told me not to evacuate, he said to his best friend, Dan. Dan, they said it's just building one. I told them I am getting my people the F out of here. And so Rick picked up his megaphone, as he had done so many times before, told his employees not to listen to the orders, and directed them out of the building. His Cornish songs helped keep their nerves calm as they evacuated, even after the second plane hit their tower. Once he had successfully... This going to make me cry. It's an amazing story. <laughs> Once he had successfully evacuated his employees, he went back to look for survivors. But first he called his wife, Susan. Stop crying. I have to get these people out safely. If something should happen to me, I want you to know I've never been happier. You made my life. <sighs> Rick rushed back to the South Tower. <laughs> I read through it before, and I was, like, fine with it, but apparently reading it aloud makes it more difficult. <laughs> that was the last time anyone saw him alive. All but six of the more than 2,700 Morgan Stanley employees survived. Had they obeyed the Port Authority, they would all be dead. Thankfully, they listened to Rick instead. Rest in peace, Rick. <laughs> Thank you for your service. So, this is at least partly because of pregnancy hormones, but this is a very moving story. And I feel like... I feel like 9-11 is not complete without some of those stories. And I think that if you go all 9-11 without reading one of those, you're really missing out. Because they're very, very moving. Like I said, <laughs> I should have known this would happen. Pardon me. Like I said, this is why I love America. We spend so much time bitching about the government, we never stop to think about the people who live here and how wonderful and generous they are. <laughs> and he says, please listen to your designated paranoid security guy. He says that because he is the paranoid security guy, for sure. So, such a neat story from Spike Cohen. Oh, man. I've been crying over, like, the smallest things lately, though, to be fair. So, not fair that September 11th should fall on today of all days. But I want to share that with you guys because, I don't know, there's lots of lessons in there. You guys should check it out for sure. And I think that he's, his his name, like David Dorn's, is one of those that should probably be remembered forever. Like, above all the terrorists, above all the cowards, above all the government interferers, we should remember the names of people like Rick. And people like David. Because they are the true movers and shakers in society. And I think that our society and our culture and our entire world would be much better off if we focused more on those people and less on the nonsense, you know. But anyway, I want to share that with you guys because it is Patriot's Day. I also wanted to read you this essay from Angela McArdle, who is the, I would say, co-chair or chair of the Mises Institute. Mises Caucus. I forget what it's called. I'll see if I can read this one without crying. I probably can. 22 years ago, our country was changed forever. On September 11, 2001, Al-Qaeda militants hijacked uh, commercial airplanes and flew them into the World Trade Center in New York, killing nearly 3,000 people. As countless families still grieve their lost loved ones from that tragic day and the country suffers the consequences of the resulting war on terror, libertarians fear too many of our countrymen still have not learned a vital lesson. Ten years after the 9-11 attacks, then-presidential candidate, now-former Representative Ron Paul, warned Americans that the attacks were blowback for our government's actions in the Middle East. That's right. It should be easy to imagine how such a remark astounded the electorate. Until then, Americans had been oblivious to their government's ventures abroad. For whatever reason, the corporate media had never covered the CIA's arming of Osama bin Laden in the 1980s to fight communism in Afghanistan, or the fact that U.S. soldiers massacred Iraqi citizens during the Gulf War, or the 1.5 million Iraqi civilians killed by U.S. sanctions on milk and medicine in the 90s. Yet we flooded Afghanistan, a country so poor and remote that many of its citizens had no concept of New York City, skyscrapers, or even televisions, much less the events of 9-11. Less than two years later, we plundered Iraq in search of Saddam Hussein's ever-elusive weapons of mass destruction, if you guys remember those. 
19 years and 4,500 dead U.S. service members later, we still have troops there. America needed Ron Paul's iconic, uncomfortable moment on that debate stage. The integrity to speak truth to one's own team is rare in politics. That's true. To be seen as unpatriotic or insulting to the military has always been a political death sentence, and the years immediately following 9-11 were no exception. But the reality was as true then as it is today. There are few acts more inhumane or disrespectful to our troops than sending them to fight and die in pointless, endless wars abroad. And many of the sacrifices our politicians told us would be necessary had been turned against us. The Patriot Act, NSA surveillance, and detention without due process, to name just a few. Mainstream pundits have been called, have even called for January 6th protesters to be sent to Guantanamo Bay, a place designated exclusively for the most dangerous terrorists. How long until our government starts turning its critics right here at home into political prisoners? They already are, as we're seeing. Ron Paul warned that many of the unseen casualties of the war on terror would be our civil liberties, our ability to engage in diplomacy, trillions upon trillions added to our national debt, and control of our federal government. We have also had more than 30,000 veteran suicides since 9-11 and an estimated 38,000 homeless veterans, many of whom suffer from traumatic brain injuries. The people of the Middle East have paid a price no less heavy. Brown University's Cost of War Project, project estimates that America's post-9-11 wars have killed between 900,000 and 2 million people, many of them innocent men, women and children. The number of displaced persons is unknown, and the ensuing political instability has decimated the quality of life for millions of Middle Easterners. In light of all this, Libertarians' message for Americans is simple. No more. No more entangling alliances. No more military aid in foreign conflicts that do not serve our nation's interests. No more grieving parents or grieving children who have lost their family members because of our drone strikes. No more destruction of our constitutional rights. And no more veteran suicides or starving homeless veterans wandering American streets. That is from Angela for LNC Chair, Libertarian Party National Chair. She is in the mom's group that I put together full of fearless ladies. And she speaks truth to power for sure as... The Mises Caucus is great about doing. Good evening, everyone. Hello, hello. Thank you for sharing. I don't recall ever hearing that story. The story of, um, what's his name? Yeah, Rick. The story of Rick and then the story of Ron Paul are both equally important. Um, Rick was an absolute hero. And then Ron Paul was really good about uh, speaking truth to power. Also very, very, very important. Um, God, the son Jesus Christ saves, love your cat's markings. He has lovely markings. He is mostly white. His markings are brown tabby and he is just a gem and a delightful kitty. All right, you guys, we're going to read some stuff that infuriates us now. That was enough mushy stuff, enough tearing up. I never do well with crying in public or on screen. California passes bill punishing parents who don't affirm trans kids in custody battles utter madness. It will be a um, crapshoot whether I am monetized for tonight's show for sure. <laughs> Here's what happened in California. Quote, what it actually means is that if you disagree with other parents about sterilizing the other parent about sterilizing your ch child, you lose custody, Elon Musk wrote. That's right. Elon Musk has a trans child. He knows this stuff firsthand. This is very important to him. And he's right. The California State Assembly passed a bill Friday. On Friday, that would require judges in child custody cases to consider whether a par excuse me a parent has affirmed a child's belief that they are transgender. AV 957 originally proposed that courts deciding custody cases must consider whether each parent was gender affirming of the child in question. An amendment in June added to the state standard of what constitutes parental responsibility for child welfare, requiring that parents must be affirming of their child's gender identity if they are to be judged fit for providing for the health, safety, and welfare of the child in a court of law. Okay, so if this hasn't infuriated you yet, don't worry, it gets better. Commentators across X, formerly known as Twitter, <laughs> scorched the bill for jeopardizing a parent's custody of their child if they do not acknowledge their transgender identity. This bill is a wolf in sheep's clothing. What it actually means is that if you disagree with the other parent about sterilizing your child, you lose custody. Tech entrepreneur and Tesla founder Elon Musk, also known as a business magnet, how he describes himself, M-A-G-N-E-T, utter madness. Yeah, that's right. Greg Price says the California Assembly just voted in favor of AB 957, which will require judges to take into account whether a parent affirms the child's gender identity. Gender detransitioner Chloe Cole, who first received gender-altering treatment at 13 years old and has since testified about the dangers of such procedures for minors before the House Judiciary, slammed the bill as well. 
This issue is wildly unpopular, yet the California governor pushes forward with more and more radical policies, she wrote. Protect Kids CA is trying to introduce ballot measures that will stop the sterilization of kids in California. Yes, 100%. Chloe is a brave, strong voice. Happy to hear that. State Freedom Caucus Network Communications Director Greg Price, whom we know and love, we've interviewed him, shared a meme juxtaposing Democrats' anger at the idea of children being separated from parents when their parents are arrested at the border with Democrats' approval for separating kids from their parents if they don't affirm their gender. And this is a fantastic meme. So the best memes get their point across succinctly and they really communicate the idea powerfully. And this is one of those. In fact, I feel like putting that up on my Instagram. If you don't follow me on Instagram at Real Sour Patch Lids, Mary Margaret Olihan comments, time for families to get out of California for sure. Absolutely. Democratic State Senator Scott Weiner from San Francisco co-authored AB 957. If you guys recall Scott Weiner, he is the focus of the article Predator's Paradise in City Journal. And I tend to retweet that article under every single tweet he makes. He gets ratioed a lot on Twitter and he should. Holy cow. Another Daily Signal employee, Tony Kinnett, wrote, Affirm your child's mental illness or will rip them from your home is horrifically evil threat and it's about to become law in California. Correct. Leftists will take your children, commentator James Lindsay wrote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the libs of TikTok account, known for exposing left-wing radicalism professed by teachers on their social media accounts, scorched the bill. Insanity of the highest levels, she wrote, they're after your kids and will use all the power possible to get them pure evil. Uh, This is from Michael Seifert, who runs Public Square, which we know and love. Andy works with them. This is legislated evil. California is determined to discover rock bottom. Public Square CEO Michael Seifert wrote in a social media post, I'm so glad we left that state. I don't even recognize my former home anymore. And it's sad. It really is. I feel the exact same about Colorado because Colorado went the same way California is going now because a bunch of Californians moved to California. A bunch of Californians moved to Colorado. Lori says Scott Weiner is a creep. Yes, he is. Yeah, his name matches his personality and his ideology perfectly. Um, Babylon B CEO Seth Dillon suggested if anything, the bill should be reversed. Gender affirmation should be taken into account, but the other way around. Parents who affirm a child's gender, mistaken identity, should risk losing custody, he proposed. That's actually a great idea, and I appreciate that. Liberate California, radio host and conservative commentator Jorge Bonilla wrote, yes, 100%. And here's Chloe testifying on the Hill, talking about everything that happened to her, which I would struggle so much with that. That'd be very hard, especially for something so personal. So she's a, she's a hero of mine for sure. She's only in her early twenties. Let's see here. Democrat California state representative Lori Wilson, who introduced the bill. This is crazy. Uh, Along with California state Senator Scott (laughs) Weiner stated on the assembly floor, parents affirm their children. They have since the dawn of time. Typically it happens when their gender identity matches their biological gender. But what happens is when it doesn't, that's when the affirmative affirmation starts to wane. Later emphasizing the bill's focus on affirming a child's choice of gender, whatever it is, and proclaiming our duty as parents is to affirm our children. No, it's not. No, it's not. And Matt Walsh was talking about a story where his six-year-old said, hey, you know what, Dad? I need a saw because I want to cut down the 50-foot-tall tree behind our house because I need more wood for my fort. You know what Matt didn't do with his kid right then? He didn't affirm them. He didn't affirm his son. I know. Isn't that terrible? His poor child, so tortured. His six-year-old did not have the opportunity to operate a powered saw to cut down a 50-foot-tall tree right behind their house. Because that's what this lady is saying that you should do. Now, I made the comparison, and this is a different case, but I will point you toward this one, too. There is an instance of a young girl whose mother pulled her out of school because she was starting to get into this gender stuff. She pulled her daughter out of school, and then a year later, she posted a picture of her daughter looking much happier. And I'm going to read you guys this guy's tweet that I wrote, and then I'll read you what this trans activist had to say. I said, imagine mom pulling a child out of school because bullying made her daughter anorexic, right? So we understand anorexia to be a similar form of delusion as transgenderism, at least when it comes to children. Mom posts an update picture of her daughter at a healthy weight. Then pro-anorexics jump in and slam the mother for literally saving her child's life. That is what you're witnessing here. This is from an account called Dreamleaf5, which got almost 30,000 likes on this tweet. Only 1,800 retweets, though, and one of them was mine. Uh, This person says, person, who knows what they are? Doesn't matter. OMG, this crazy turf mom posted an update 
after a year and the kid looks even more miserable. So here's the original tweet. Rhett Smith says, I didn't affirm my daughter. I removed her from the contagion. Within months, she pulled what I called a seize and assist, S-E-E-S. And at first I thought, I, I thought, I thought she was like misspelling cease and assist, but she goes on to explain. She saw the truth and left the cult. Over a year later, she's thriving more than she ever was when involved in the gender craze. And here she is. She looks adorable with her little skirt and her shirt that says, you know, woman, an adult human female. Oh, that's got to trigger those trans activists. Here she is as well. First day of school vibes. Lesson one, woman is an adult human female. Yes, good for her. But this trans activist can't handle it. And I think my response was, let's see here. Oh, here we go. I wonder if she's being bullied mercilessly by trans cultist psychos for detransing. Of course she is. You know she is. That's part of what comes with transing or detransitioning. And I said, quote, even more miserable is a fun way to admit that being trans makes kids insanely miserable and might be reflected in some other social and emotional issues. Of course, that's not going to win me any friends over on the TRA side of things, but I really don't care because it's 100% accurate. And what it comes down to with trans rights activists who are fully transitioned themselves um, is something probably similar to what I suspect is also happening in the minds of women who rapidly defend abortion. They feel they feel bad about what they've done and they suspect that it might have been the wrong choice, but they are unwilling to come to terms with it. So instead of actually taking stock of their own personal shortcomings and mistakes that they might have made because it's easier not to do so... What they'll do instead is lash out at other people. And I think that's what we see a little bit here. And I cannot wait until the TRA movement just disappears entirely. And I feel like it's time is coming. I do. I truly do. I feel like the patience with this kind of behavior is vanishing from the public. And honestly, it could not happen to a nicer bunch of people. Someone says, don't put your kids online. That's right, Brian. I completely agree. In fact, I'm not going to put pictures of our kids online. Sorry, you'll just have to take my word for it that we have a baby. And if I do any live streams, you'll definitely be able to hear them. Um, and you'll be able to see me look incredibly disheveled. I probably won't do anything for the first few weeks for sure, but we'll see what I'm able to do. But yeah, I, I completely agree. Especially with the advent of AI stuff and this chat GPT type stuff. Not interested in putting my kids out there and putting them in a position where they could be take, taken advantage of by terrible people because it turns out there are terrible people in the world. Um, I was just reading a story earlier today where they actually used the R word when it came to a female teacher, which I know is kind of unusual. They did. And it's because her students were fourth grade students, which just blew my mind. And this happens constantly when it comes to public school teachers. And it's just disgusting. Um, Sir Renko says SMH Matt Walsh is a lumberjackophobe. Protect protect lumberjack kids. Thank you, Sir, Sir Ranko. <laughs> God, the sun says not just a mental thing, also some dark spiritual stuff there. Yes, certainly, certainly. And I feel like to, to a point, a lot of these activists are, we, we know, especially if we follow anything about Jordan Peterson, we understand they are possessed by ideology, right? Now what ideology looks like and where that fits into what the Bible kind of teaches about dark forces in the world, who knows, right? I really don't pretend to be any kind of theologian, but at the same time, there's I, I've ran into so many people when I was bringing in guests for IRL that were just like, yeah, you know, I'm not religious at all, but this really feels spiritual and it feels dark. And I remember just when I would drive out to um, Washington, D.C. to pick people up, I was like, there is something wrong with this city. This city is very, very deeply sick to its soul. <laughs> but here we go. <clears throat> All right. Ekim says, today's also my dad's birthday to quote him. Screw you, Terrace. I had it first. There you go. That's fair. I know some people whose birthday are today is today as well. For sure. Yes, absolutely. You owned it first. 100%. Bill says, some men are empowered by God at the right time. Yes, 100%. Psycho says, you got me. Go You're going to get me going too, Lids. Yeah, so that was fun. Gal got our 9-11 our tears in. What a wonderful, heroic way to go, though, right? Honestly, because I can't think of a better way. And good for him calling his wife and being like, stop crying. I had a great life. I'm doing exactly what I was supposed to do. I'm saving people's lives. Man, what a way to go. Talk about a true sense of purpose and meaning. That's really, really 
really, truly inspiring, unlike California, like we just read. But let's see what else we got here. Oh, yeah. Joe Biden eats ice cream and pets dogs. Republicans think that makes him unfit to serve. I'm going to read a little something that I wrote about that. I titled it, Joe Biden loves dogs, ice cream, and has never done anything wrong ever, Washington Post says. That's my title, my working title. We're not going to end up using this one, but it's all good. <laughs> so let me read you guys this. This is a little bit of my writing. I don't think I've ever read my writing on the stream, but I do love writing because I love words and English so much. So let's read it. Won't take long. It's really short. The Washington Post, Dana Milbank is a go-getter. Right now, he's going to go get a Biden victory the only way he knows how, by trying to pretend that Republicans have nothing showing his implicit guilt in the massive influence peddling scheme he worked out with his son, Hunter. Here is the opening of his Washington Puff piece. I called it the Washington Puff, not the Washington Post. It makes more sense in writing. Don't worry about it. From today. Quote, White House spokesman Andrew Bates is a happy warrior. For years, he spiritedly defended, he has spiritedly fended off whatever calumny Republicans alleged at the moment, whether about President Biden's age or Hunter Biden's laptop or some imaginary scheme to take away Americans' hamburgers or most recently their beer. Not mentioned, you may notice, are things like gas stoves, which the Biden administration hinted they would be going after, denied and mocked conservatives over, and now apparently are absolutely going after to the point that the Energy Department nominee was withdrawn over after Joe Manchin protested over, you guessed it, his stance on gas stoves. And we know Joe loves ice cream. MSNBC ran a full three-minute segment about his ice cream proclivities. That's right. And I had a friend look that up for me, and it is a full three minutes, and I won't make you watch it. You're welcome. But that's an art. That's an aside. What the Washington Post wants any everyone in the U.S., including the alarming number in the Democratic Party who do not think Biden is fit to run again, to focus on is how much Joe Biden loves ice cream and dogs. Dana gets right into spinning. Gets right into spinning. Joe Biden got distracted by a good boy in Maui almost two weeks after the disaster struck, to which Joe Biden took his sweet time responding. Biden tried to greet the Irish prime minister's dog. Imagine the outrage from the RNC. The dog barked at Biden, which I'm sure for any other politician, Dana would immediately tell you indicates untrustworthiness. If he actually cared about dog temperament, he does not. That's very clear. This is all silly frippery and everyone knows it. This is just something positive to say about Biden. An easy attempt to distract from very serious issues plaguing his administration, like the migration issue currently plaguing even blue cities and states at this point. And, and I link there to... New York City, obviously, and also to Massachusetts, where the governor has called up a state of emergency and called up the uh, National Guard there because they are being overrun by illegal migrants who are coming to their state. Were his terrible economic policies or the looming evidence of Joe's flagrant corruption and a desperate try to remind people that Joe is nice and friendly and normal, a mask that slipped sorely when news of his poor, his poor overlooked seventh grandchild became public? It won't work, but it is darkly amusing to see how the press willingly twists themselves into knots for their partisan overlords. It could be the wake-up call oblivious voters need before election 2024. I am not going to hold my breath on that count. I just thought that article was funny, and I wanted to talk about how great Joe Biden was, so now you guys all know that, too. So, there we have that, and we won't have to read that actual article. What else was I going to talk about? Let me catch my breath here. Oh, yeah, this one's good, too. You know, I think I pulled this up on Monday. <laughs> it's been up for quite a while now. I don't think we'll go over it. Yeah, it's from a little while ago. But I do love the National Review. <laughs> well, we talked about the migrant crisis in New York City. So let's read this article about Eric Adams. I'm sure you guys are familiar with with what's been going on over there. And we'll touch on what's happening in New Mexico, because I got to be honest, I don't think about New Mexico very often, even though my dad is initially from there. Um, so thinking about it is weird. We'll get into it for sure. Progressives give Eric Adams the Trump treatment for refusing to ignore New York City's migrant crisis. Interesting turn of events. New York City Mayor Eric Adams speaks during the Hong Kong Dragon Boat Festival opening ceremony at Flushing Meadows Park in New York City, August 12, 2023. Welcome back to Forgotten Fact Checks, a weekly column produced by National Review's News Desk. This week, we look at the Democrats' intra-party fight over the migrant crisis, criticize a New York Times piece about a GOP and immigration, and cover more media misses. This sounds like a great column. We're going to have to cover this, too, for sure. All right, go away. There we go. In progressive circles, Eric Adams is the new Trump. We're just going to read this part. 
After years of insisting New York City would uh, remain a sanctuary city for immigrants in order under his control, Mayor Eric Adams struck a different exasperated tone last week when he warned the city could be destroyed by an influx of migrants. Let me tell you something, New Yorkers. Never in my life have I had a problem that I did not see an ending to. I don't see an ending to this. I don't see an end to this. This issue will destroy New York City. Destroy New York City. Adams said on Wednesday during a town hall meeting, we are getting 10,000 migrants a month. It's going to come to your neighborhood. All of us are going to be impacted by this. I said it last year when we had 15,000, Adams added. I'm telling you now, with 110,000, the city we know we're about to lose, and we're all in this together. This is a dire warning, and I don't think he's wrong. While many Republicans lauded Adams' better late than never change of heart, liberal pundits quickly began comparing the mayor to former President Donald Trump. Oh, good. Good for you. <laughs> Jahan Jones, a writer for MSNBC's The Readout blog, wrote that wrote the conservatives are applauding Adams' rant because they feel they've made him come around to their bigoted thinking. That has led some of his critics to label him Black Trump, and he lived up to the moniker Thursday with an anti-immigrant diatribe that sounded as if it had been ripped from the former president's social media feed. So instead of actually addressing the issue that Eric Adams is rightfully worried about, Everyone on the left is like, oh, he's being bigoted. He sounds just like Donald Trump. What they're really saying beneath all that is that, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that that's not me that has to deal with this problem because this actually is a problem. They have to admit it, but they never will. And it's so interesting to watch them tear each other apart because you knew it was going to happen. MSNBC host Mehdi Hassan called, a t called Adams a Trump knockoff. I have seen the Eric Adams clip claiming migrants will destroy New York City. It is awful. There's a reason why Republicans and far-right folks are gleefully sharing it, Hassan, Hassan wrote in a post on X. New York Dems could have had Maya Wiley as governor, as mayor, but they went for ridiculous Adams, a Trump knockoff. But Adams hasn't always been so tough on immigration. Back in October, he wrote on social media, there is a reason that Lady Liberty sits outside New York City's harbor. This is the place where we ensure we live up to the expectations of what it is to be American, an American citizen, or a country that welcomes those fleeing prosecution and persecution. One year before that, he wrote that the city should not should protect our immigrants, period. Yes, New York City will remain a sanctuary city under an Adams administration. Eric on NBC, he added at the time. But now the city is reaching a breaking point under financial toll of providing for more than 100,000 illegal migrants. It's facing declining city revenues, all while migrant crisis could cost the Big Apple $12 billion by July 2025 if the influx continues, he said. The city has opened more than 200 emergency shelters to accommodate the influx of illegal migrants and is now working to accommodate some 21,000 newly enrolled migrant children in its public schools. So they are suffering. They are. And I, to some degree, I feel bad for them because... It shouldn't be happening at all. Let's be real. It should not be happening in Texas and it should not be happening in New York City. But the reason that people like Eric Adams and the mayor of Chicago and the mayor of all these other liberal open cities, these, these sanctuary cities are so willing to be so open is because they don't ever think it's going to affect them. And from my understanding, Boston, Massachusetts is also a sanctuary city too. They never thought it would come that far north, but it did. And it, it, it's a really, really good play by Republicans, I have to be honest, because forcing Democrats to hold up their side of the bargain to, to play by their own rules is really powerful. There's a reason that Saul Alinsky wrote about that in Rules for Radicals. For sure. The simple truth is that longtime New Yorkers and asylum seekers will feel these potential cuts and they will hurt, he added. He said budget cuts are a direct result of inaction in Washington and in Albany. But the die is not yet cast, and we can still avoid these cuts if Washington and Albany do their part by paying their fair share and by coming up with a decompression st decompression strategy that reduces the pressure on New York City so we are not forced to manage this crisis almost entirely on our own. The co-hosts on The View offered a simple solution to help out New York City. Migrants need to spread out. Anna Navarro said the migrant crisis is putting tremendous stress on a city that cannot take the logistical crisis of mass immigration on its own. Fair enough. They need to be resettled elsewhere. There it is, she said to the migrants. They need to be spread out, co-host Sarah Hindstead. This is a massive country. Right. They want it to be spread out. They really only ever thought that the open border would affect those horrible red states. And I've made this point on Twitter before, and I stand by it. They open their cities, and they call them sanctuary cities, because they don't ever think that they will have to use them and they only think that illegal immigration will affect those red denizens in those red states that aren't truly Americans and not really important people. And I think that's true. And I think that's exactly what we're hearing from The View. 
Let's see here. Oh, yeah, Massachusetts. The Democratic mayor of Woburn, Massachusetts, called the state lawmakers to reform a 40-year-old right-to-shelter law that requires state officials to offer housing to any homeless family seeking shelter in the state. The law has been applied to a rising number of migrant families, though individuals are not covered under its provisions. Woburn mail, excuse me. Woburn Mayor Scott Galvin said there are around 150 families living in the city's hotels. We are going above and beyond while some communities around us are not being impacted and we don't have endless capacity in our schools, he said. The benefits that are bestowed on migrants make the state a very attractive destination and without some changes, this challenge is not going to abate. That's right. They're starting to notice that when you are a sanctuary city or a sanctuary state, people are going to notice that too. And if they are illegally migrating, they're going to go where you are. It's a draw. It's a magnet. Statewide, there are nearly 6,300 families living in emergency shelters and hotels at 50% increase from the year prior. The accommodations are costing the state $45 million a month. That's insane. Massachusetts Governor Mara Healey declared a state of emergency last month, requesting help from the federal government and later activating up to 250 state National Guard members to help the families living in the state's shelter system. So, they're struggling, and over the course of their struggles, what they're getting from the left is not any kind of assistance. It's just name-calling and sliming and being compared to Trump. And, goodness gracious, it is a hot mess. But, let's talk about, I wanted to talk about New Mexico. And I lost the article that I was going to riff off of. Let me see if I can find that. Oh, you know what? There is footage from Ford Fisher, who actually went down when a bunch of people went out with their guns and protested this, the governor of New Mexico put through a ban on all forms of exercise of the Second Amendment in the city of Albuquerque in New Mexico. And somebody's pointed out that New Mexico does have some violence problems, so let's read a little bit about what's going on down there from Ford Fisher. Video thread. Gun owners, many visibly armed, rallied in Old Town Albuquerque today to openly defy the New Mexico governor's executive order banning the open and concealed carry of firearms there as a one-month, quote, emergency. Police did not intervene or enforce the order. So, here we have a lot of people with a lot of American flags. No one's wearing masks. These are the boomers we know and love wearing their sunglasses and their hats. They're bulletproof vests for no reason, and they're bandanas. So we know this kind of person. Salt of the earth, blue-collar workers. They like to, you know, wear Grant-style shirts, just like me. And they work <laughs> They work very reasonable jobs for very reasonable pay. They ride their motorcycles on the weekend. We know this kind of person. It's great. That is America. Americana. One speaker at the armed rally in Albuquerque defying the gun-carrying ban told the crowd that they need to go out and do this every day or else it won't have an impact. When the police didn't enforce the order, it includes a $5,000 fine, fine for violators. Wow. One of the apparent anti-gun protesters was yelled at, but then invited by the speaker to say his piece on the stage. This is interesting to me. So this is my favorite tweet from this thread. That was great. The crowd yelled at him for wearing a mask and applauded him when he took it off. It's really funny. He expressed concern about gun violence in schools, which the speaker and crowd retorted by suggesting, <coughs> excuse me, arming veterans and well-trained teachers at schools would be a deterrent. Oh my gosh, you guys, I can't talk. Would be a deterrent against active shooters. Here's the full N2S reports video of today's armed rally in Albuquerque where gun owners defy the governor's executive order banning open and concealed carry. Yes. Filled by Daniel Montano. Yes. Okay. And this lady perfectly articulates what I thought when I was reading that about the anti-gun protester who got called up on stage to share his thoughts. Can you imagine a pro-gun protester being called up stage, uh, up on the stage by left-wing protesters and being given the opportunity to say what he thinks? This lady says, it's what real diversity and tolerance looks like in a liberal society versus decorative diversity of skin colors. I think she's perfectly right. 100%. Kat says, imagine that. Free and open discussion of an issue without silencing one side. What a novel idea. Yes, 100%. I was in attendance today. My daughter goes to a private school here in ABQ with armed guards, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm confident that those students are safer than in any other school in the area. Yeah, interesting. Steve points out, fascist gun owners allow an opponent to speak. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, so somebody else pointed out that the the fact that these people weren't wearing masks is going to make it easy for the feds to look for them. 
which is deeply troubling to me because I know that it's likely true, unfortunately, based on how we're seeing everything shake out recently. Really don't like that. I don't want to think that's the case. I want this to be an overwhelming response. Now, I don't know if you guys saw this as well. Let's see here if we can find this. Ted Liu and David Hogg both had a very interesting, very similar thing to say about this New Mexico thing. That's a cute puppy. Let's see here. I support gun safety laws. However, this order from the governor of New Mexico violates the U.S. Constitution. No state in the union can suspend the federal constitution. Now listen closely. This is where he slips it in. Okay. It's like a date rape drug. There is no such thing as a state public health emergency exception to the U.S. Constitution. There is no such thing as a state public health emergency exception to the U.S. Constitution. So what Ted is saying here, while it might sound like you agree with him, what he's saying is that the states can't do this on the individual level, but the feds can. So David Hogg said something very similar, which sounded almost like it was copied and pasted. So let's see what David had to say too. Never agreed with David before in my life. Not a huge fan of his, but he is going to Harvard. He's smarter than me. Let's read what he had to say. I really don't. He talks a lot. I support gun safety, but there is no such thing as a state public health emergency exception to the U.S. Constitution. So again, it's like they got their talking points sent down from on high. And it seems to me, what it really strikes me as, this whole New Mexico thing seems like a shot across the bow, right? This is a test. This is a trial balloon, I think people were calling us. Calling this. New Mexico's governor orders suspension of open and concealed carry of guns in Albuquerque. Declaring gun violence and drug abuse a public health emergency after a string of recent deadly shootings. Now, she is actually on record as having said everything is a public health emergency. Poverty is a public health emergency. Global warming is a clim- uh, public health emergency. Everything is. It's not quite word for word, Robin. I think that um, Ted said, however, David said, but... But they both made this exact same statement when it came to this particular line. There is no such thing as a state public health emergency exception to the U.S. Constitution. And I think that's really, really important to notice because this is telling you what they're going to try to do. They're going to try to make it federal if they are going to cram it through. And after what happened with COVID, I got to be honest, nothing would surprise me less. COVID. I don't even want to think about COVID anymore because I just learned the other day that Donald Trump really wanted to hire Bill Gates in 2018 as one of his advisors. And I just balked at that. I could not believe that. I had to look that up for myself and it turned out to be the case. So really interesting. Uh, When it comes back to it, I'm pretty sure whenever the next pandemic is, I just, the government is just going to take complete complete control and it's all going to be over and our great American experiment is going to be more or less over unless we find a way to stop it. But we'll see what happens. We've end a home. Thank you, sir, for your weird Norwegian money. I love what's happening in Albuquerque. Everyone stands united, even the left. Yes, it was very interesting. And I think it's fair. It's really interesting when people get up on stage and say things like, man, actually, I'm really concerned about school shootings. Everyone is concerned about school shootings. And I know that there have been shootings in Norway as well, not to the degree that there have been in the United States, but to some degree, most of the people in the United States seem to understand that when you have a right, like the right to bear arms, it comes with certain risks that you have to be willing to bear. And I know that's hard to say, but if you're going to have this freedom, you need to also understand that you are going to have some risks too. And I I don't know how to get around that. I don't think there is a way to get around that because all responsibilities and all rights come with responsibilities and all rights also come with risks. There's no way to make everything nice and safe. And I know that's what um, Michelle Lujan Grisham is trying to do, trying to make everything super safe. Theoretically, at least this is the, this is the guys that they put their ridiculous authoritarianism under, but they are trying to make everything safe for everyone, but it's not going to work. Adrian says, tired mommy. Yeah, I'm not even a mom yet. What the heck? What's going on there? Uh, Painful says, some weird-ish in Hawaii. I haven't seen anything about that. We'll look into that. Weaven says, we had an election in Norway today and the MSM fails to mention 
that all the woke parties are losing big time, but while the more center slash right leaning are growing a lot, people are tired of the wokeness. Yes, this seems to be across the board. Everyone in every country is starting to really get sick of this stuff. And this is what I said earlier about the patience uh, for the TRA movement stuff drying up quickly. Like, it's only a matter of time. And, and I was telling Andy the other day, I'm like, I hope within the next 10 years by the time that our kids are, like, possibly at risk of this stuff, I hope this is all gone and just nothing but a memory, like a bad dream that only he and I know about and our kids are completely untouched by it. So I can dream for sure. All right, you guys, I want to give you some good news before we close. Glenn Youngkin there in Virginia, one of the best governors we have in the U.S. We have Kim Reynolds. We have Governor DeSantis here in Florida. And we have Glenn Youngkin. Those are three of our top ones. Uh, Glenn Youngkin grants absolute pardon to Loudon dad arrested at school board meeting. And the reason he was arrested will make perfect sense once you figure out where they're coming from and what he was mad about. Scott Smith, the father in question. What should scare every American is that I had to take this because I could not trust our justice system. Interesting. Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin on Sunday granted an absolute pardon to the father who was arrested at the school board meeting after the superintendent lied about his daughter's rape by a skirt-wearing boy. The pardon says that in June 2021, Scott Smith exercised his constitutional right to attend a public meeting of the Loudoun County School Board to observe the proceedings, during which time a community member threatened to spread false and malicious information about Mr. Smith's business with the intent to damage his reputation. So, this board member threatened to basically defame and lie about him because of the things that he was saying because his daughter was sexually assaulted by a boy, but it was okay because the boy was wearing a skirt and that was how he ended up in the girl's bathroom. Delightful. And after an ensuing verbal confrontation, Scott Thomas Smith was charged with obstruction of justice and disorderly conduct and Smith was quickly convicted even though the appeals court later disqualified the prosecutor due to concerns about the integrity of the prosecution. The pardon continues. Whereas Scott Thomas Smith has been publicly and falsely accused of domestic terrorism and hate crimes for attempting to advocate for his daughter, a victim of sexual assault, I have decided it is just and appropriate to grant this absolute pardon that reflects Scott Thomas Smith's factual innocence, it concludes. Yes. Yes. That's a good governor. Smith's story galvanized parents who were concerned that schools had sacrificed student safety and academic rights for ideology. Youngkin's plan to be a voice for those parents helped usher him into office a month after the Daily Wire revealed Smith's story. That's right. Part of the reason Youngkin won his election was because he said, I'm going to stand up for parents when it comes to these woke schools, putting your kids in a position, an untenable position, where they have no option but to share a bathroom with some of the most violent members of society who are there at their school. Democrat prosecutor Buda Bibaraj, Buda, B-U-T-A, Bibaraj, B-I-B-E-R-A-J, bucked her typical soft on crime stances and personally argued to put Smith in jail for misdemeanor disorderly conduct. Smith was denied a jury because it was a misdemeanor in general district court and a judge quickly convicted him. He appeared, appealed the ruling and would have been entitled to a jury in the appeals court, but the legal saga had dragged on for years, taking a financial and emotional toll on Smith, who says he's grateful Youngkin allowed him to move on. I'm thankful that the Youngkin administration gave me an off-ramp to these charges that it never should have happened, Smith told the Daily Wire. It's kind of bittersweet because I really look forward to winning this in court, but unfortunately our justice system is so screwed up right now, I don't feel like I could actually get a fair shot in court. He's probably correct about that, unfortunately. I heard Dip, but he disappeared. I'm going to read you guys this tweet from a Democrat in Virginia because this is crazy. Like, actually crazy my mind was blown <laughs> yeah okay so let me scroll down a little bit here oh yeah <laughs> i was pretty mad about this one i said democrats will instantly default to the defense of brutal underage sexual assault when it's a question of ideological loyalty and i think that's really good to know about them this Senator Scott Suravel, dad, husband, senator, vice chair, Democrat Senate caucus, trial lawyer, 46 or whatever that is, ex-country, cross-country cyclist, whatever, don't care, Star Wars fan, doesn't matter. This is what he has to say about Scott Smith being pardoned. Scott Smith, whose daughter was horribly assaulted in the bathroom by a boy who was there because he wore a skirt. 
by a school that was so ideologically possessed that they allowed it to happen and not only allowed it to happen, Ben went on to cover it up and threaten her father with defamation and the destruction of his livelihood if he spoke about it. Glenn Youngkin is all about law and order until he can use a pardon to help his failing presidential ambitions or try to change the campaign focus from taking away women's rights to his billionaire-funded mission to destroy and privatize schools. That just makes my skin crawl. Because the story is, this girl, this teenage girl, this underage girl, this minor who was going to school, made the awful life-changing mistake of going to the bathroom at school where she had the misfortune of encountering a boy who was in that bathroom, that girl's only bathroom, because he chose to wear a skirt. He wasn't even transgender. He just was cross-dressing. And the school was like, that's fine. That's all it takes. That's enough. Ideological possession. And once her father was upset about that, again, I cannot emphasize this enough, the school threatened to try to destroy his reputation and his livelihood. And now this Democrat is coming out and smearing Governor Youngkin, talking about his presidential ambitions, as if this actually isn't about a father speaking up for his daughter after she was sexually assaulted because of ideological persuasion, such as Senator Scott Suravel is surely in grasp of. But that was a particularly infuriating story. I just wanted to share that with you guys. Hopefully um, Scott is kicked out of office. And um, Glenn Youngkin goes on to do wonderful things. All right, you guys, we made it almost an hour. I'm pretty impressed. I think those are all the stories I was going to talk about. I was going to talk about vocal distance. We're going to talk about corruption education. Might do that tomorrow. Very interesting thread he has here. (laughs) Adrian has notes on how exactly his poor daughter was assaulted. Indeed, it was awful. Truly terrible, terrible attack. 100%. Painful says, thanks, Sour Lids. You're very welcome. Happy to be here with you. I've been being kicked this whole time. Hope you all appreciate it. I hope the baby's listening to me. Probably more right now than she ever will in the future. That's for sure. All right, you guys. Thank you all for joining me on this momentous and patriotic day of 9-11, also known as Patriot's Day. Thank you for bearing with me as I read that thread from Spike Cohen, who's a fantastic historical note taker and Angela McArdle's essay about Ron Paul and the libertarian movement when it comes to what happened following 9-11. I will see you all tomorrow. I hope you all will enjoy TimCast IRL. Until next time, remember what we say over here. Stay safe. Stay well. Stay out of Target. Bye, guys.